0: You are listening to Fancy Film Ball with Matt and Dylan, and on this show we turn movies into sports and look at all the Oscar prospects and their fancy value. I believe that this is going to win Best Picture, and here's why. I mean Denis Villeneuve got all the nominations he needed for it, and still missed out on the Best Director slot. Don't let me
1: get my hopes up, the Academy has disappointed me too many times.
0: Thank you to the Academy. Thank you to all of you in this room.
1: I can't remember the last time I walked out of the movie theater in such a high. No matter how certain it seems, anything can happen on nominations morning. Never count the Golden Globes for just doing something off the walls and bonkers. It's the kind of movie that reminds me of why I fell in love with movies.
0: And the Oscar goes to? Welcome into episode
1: 41 of Fantasy Film Ball. My name is Dill. And my name is Matt, and this is a show where we turn movies into sports and sports into something we don't talk about here. Today, we actually have a bit of a shorter episode than usual, just because of timing and all of that. We have not been able to catch something for a movie review this week. That will be coming later in the week. If you want to see our John Wick review, it'll be exclusive to YouTube. Uh, So sorry, y'all out there. Sorry to the podcast listeners. Uh, No John Wick for you. But we'll have some movie reviews next week. But Dylan, Dylan... My dude, how are you doing this week? I'm doing good. I got to see Les Mis yesterday.
0: It was the opening night of where it's shown here in Richmond. and It was a lot of fun. I've never seen it on like stage before. I've seen the movie a few times, as some people may know. I'm a Tom Hooper fan, but not for the right reasons, you could say. So it was nice seeing the, I guess, intended version of this beloved
1: and widely known musical,
0: and I thought it was pretty good.
1: I think I'm part of a very rare group of people that actually thinks the movie version of Les Mis is the best version of Les Mis. Because I find, personally, every production, I've seen community theater productions, high school productions, I was in a high school production of Les Mis, I've seen professional Broadway level, and the thing that I always find holds back, Les Miserables, it's got great music. but. Oftentimes I find that the blocking ends up being that they tell a person to go and stand in one place and sing and then stand somewhere else and sing. It just doesn't feel dynamic. That was, I saw it in Broadway, I think like 2013, the year after the movie came out. That was my biggest, most disappointing part of it is that it just felt so stuck in one place. So I really love the movie. What do you think of the choice to make them sing live in the movie? So
0: I, I love that choice, and that's something that I appreciate Hooper for, even if the result isn't always the best. Uh, looking at Hugh Jackman for some of his choices that he made with not wanting to drink water or coffee before singing live or Russell Crowe or some of the other people in the movie. But I think it works for like what you're doing, but I get the complaints of, like, oh, they sound bad or something like that.
1: But you said yeah. something that I feel like you can't really skip over. You said you were in a production, so who were you? Oh, well, I, I was uh, I was a kid when I was in it i played gavroche the the little one but i guess what i'll say about the live singing is i like that it sounded bad right like if i want to hear les miz and hear a beautiful version of les miz i'm gonna listen to the cast album but the thing i like about the movie is that it was gritty it was rough it didn't feel like they were trying to be good and they weren't good because it was more emphasizing their performance more than the singing honestly the one Performer in the movie that sounds really good, I think, is the weakest performance because Samantha Barks, I think, she's a fantastic singer as Eponine, but everyone else was giving such grit to the character and not caring how they sounded, and she was the one that had like a very typically Broadway voice, and it brought that character down for me. I love Hugh Jackman in this movie.
0: Yeah, I'm. I think my biggest shock with seeing it live was just how different the character of Javert sounds with someone who could sing because like I'm so used to listening to Russell Crowe and I'm like okay I know his cadence I know like the style and the person doing it on stage did it so I much fall. different I was like oh my gosh this is like a whole new type show and that's something that I've noticed a lot with when I go to watch either cast recordings or adaptations of movies or whatever on stage is characters that I love in the movie are usually my least favorite on stage just because the portrayals are so much different whether that is Hamilton because no one can live up to Leslie Odom's Burr or here now with Javert and I'm sure that will happen
1: with the next show I go see or anything like that yeah I'm always surprised by the fact that I just don't give a shit about Fantine uh, unless it's Anne Hathaway
0: I will say the person I saw in Richmond last night uh, was really good so trust you. I mean I Dreamed a Dream as the showstopper well, enough lame is because sadly, we don't have another Tom Hooper movie coming out probably ever, but eh, in back. terms of fancy film ball, uh, I figured our question of the week uh, could be our favorite film ball moment, because we just finished up a season, so why not go over some of our favorite moments, because I feel like ours would be very different, because I haven't won before. You have.
1: <laughs> I've won twice now. It feels good. Um, I think if I had to pick a favorite moment, it would probably be... Thinking and looking back at our draft this year, it was very funny at the end of the draft. I was like, oh god, I feel like I did terrible. Like, I'm regretting taking tar. I wonder if everything ever was the right choice. It ended up uh, working out in my favor, but I was was worried for a bit there. What about you, Dylan? What's your favorite moment on the show or otherwise? This past season, I mean, I didn't do... My worst, but I didn't do my best
0: in terms of uh, finishing. Because this is my third season of playing. The first year kind of came out the gate, not really knowing how the game worked, but somehow came in second. And then last year, really fumbled and came in, like, fifth. And then this year, now I'm in, what, third? So, like, I've kind of been up and down. So, like, at least this season, I guess, just seeing some passion picks actually pay off. Like, Elvis wasn't just all in my head. Avatar was a Best Picture nominee. And then some of the stuff I picked in later rounds, like All Quiet panned out, or All Out Breeze, or Blonde even end up getting all over 200 points but um i guess overall would be that very first season of playing with uh getting sound of metal and that like waiver pickup uh auction type draft i was like wow i got my like big best picture candidate not
1: even in the main draft no one cared about sound of metal until it was suddenly like a huge thing we are going to change up the game a lot next year i think it's it's going to be very different and i think it's it's pretty exciting it's going to be a much more dynamic game to play next year which i'm i'm very excited to introduce we do have not a lot to talk about today, but we are going to be diving into our first acting predictions of the year, which I, I don't know how you feel about that. I'm feeling pretty nervous about it. And then we, uh, we're we doing our draft, of course, and finishing it off with a bit more Oscar madness, which is always very fun. So uh, what do you think? Should we get into it?
0: Yeah, let's dive right in.
1: We are diving into our first acting predictions for the
0: 2024 Oscar season and that at least I can speak for myself I don't know what to do in any of these categories at the moment at least for picture I felt like good about like six seven type movies and whatnot but getting here to the acting categories I don't feel confident even saying a winner in any category like last year's like oh yeah Austin Butler cool lock it in Quan yeah I kind of feel good about that but like here there's nothing I know we we're doing these a few months earlier than our first ones last year but I don't know I I feel like I'm being
1: too basic, but at the same time not basic enough. The thing I love about early predictions is that we really don't know what's going on at all. And that's exciting to me. It's very fun to to make these early wild predictions and then see whether they flop or whether they come into being later on. And most of the things we say right now are going to end up being completely horribly wrong. But some won't. Some won't, and that's exciting. Like, there are some things that we're going to say are going to happen right now that at the very end of the year we're going to look back at and go, Oh, wow, <laughs> we called that early. Or, oh, we had a feeling that would that would flop. We just had a feeling right there. Do we know anything? No, we don't know shit. Do we have a little bit of a hunch on some of these things? Yes, I think that's, that's the exciting thing here. Uh, so, without further ado, let's just dive right into, I'm going to start off this week with Best Actress in a Leading Role. So in my number one slot for Best Actress, I have Fantasia Burino for The Color Purple. Fantasia is an American Idol, I don't know if she went to the finals, but she did extremely well. I have not watched American Idol since like 2005, so I really have no idea, but Fantasia is a really fantastic singer, a fantastic performer, uh, has been on Broadway, in fact has been on Broadway in this role which she is playing and reprising on screen in The Color Purple. Uh, It's the role of Seeley, who many believe Whoopi Goldberg should have won the Oscar for in the original non-musical version in 1985. Whoopi Goldberg was kind of, I think, upset a little bit for the win there. Uh, I don't know too much about the politics of that awards race, but many look back and think that that role should have won an Oscar for Whoopi Goldberg. And in fact, this role has won two actresses Tony's for this. Now Fantasia Brino played the role on stage, but she did not originate it. There are clips of her online doing this performance. There is a show-stopping number at the end of Act Two, it's called I'm Here, and you can find that clip of Fantasia singing that song, and I dare you watch that clip. Tell me right now that's not an Oscar clip. Plus, there's narrative here. I mean Fantasia is going to deliver a crazy good performance. There's also the narrative of we've just rewarded the second POC woman to ever win an Oscar for Best Actress. That is two in the entire 95-year history non-white women to win Best Actress. And I think that there's going to be a narrative to continue that. Plus, I just have a feeling... The Color Purple is going to be a movie that is going to, at the end of the year, feel good to vote for. I have a feeling this cast is going to be warmly embraced. There are so many characters in this that are going to get awards buzz. I can see up to four acting nominations for this film. It is a likely SAG Ensemble winner. And Fantasia is at the heart of it all. And if the movie does well, it's because of Fantasia. And if Fantasia does well, it's because the movie is capturing the hearts of people
0: my biggest scare with this at least is just the past few years the academy has not really seemed to be very warm to musicals like yes west side story did get in the best picture but i would say that movie overall underperformed based on like where we thought rachel zegler missed out an actress and missed on both supporting actor candidates it did miss out on that sag ensemble nomination uh, and i don't know i i want color purple to do well i'm just a little scared mm-hmm. and then you add on top of that warner brothers has so much going out there but I think that everything you say can easily happen. That's where the fun of predicting in march for an award show that's almost a year away. is like, hey, we have
1: no real clue what is going to happen. So she's in my top three right now, but I just don't mm-hmm. have her at number one. But what other musicals should have gotten into Best Picture in the last 10 years? Because, I mean, there was West Side Story, which did very well. Of course, yes, it underperformed a little bit. It uh, It didn't get... I, I, it only ended up with the one acting nomination when people thought it might get Mike faced in there, uh, when people thought Rita Moreno might get in there. I don't think people ever thought Rachel Zegler would make it in because I that was a role. You did? Why? That was a role that hadn't even gotten Natalie Wood an Oscar nomination. That You were so weak that I felt like she could get in, and then, I mean, she won
0: an early precursor, she had the Globe, stuff was looking good. Like, at the end of the day, like, on nomination morning, I wasn't expecting her, but throughout the whole award season, I was.
1: Fair enough. Maria's just a role that I I think is, she's a bit of a bland role that the rest of the story happens around. Her and Tony are the ones that are, like, the least praised in any performance of West Side Story, because everything, the interesting part of West Side Story happens around those two characters. But other than that, I mean, the last movie musical that I can think that did get kind of snubbed and was pretty close to the conversation was probably Mary Poppins Returns, Uh, but that was that was lighthearted. That was uh, very fun, very breezy. The Color Purple is a film that I think is going to move people really deeply. It's a drama, right? It's based on an established show that we know is good. It's coming from a director who works with Beyonce frequently, who is a very visually talented Filmmaker and storyteller. So, I don't know. I, I have high hopes for this movie. Uh, and I can even see a path for Best Picture for Color Purple. Actually, it might be my prediction at this point. she you gone back to it. Nice. People, people might say that, yeah, the Academy doesn't like musicals. They didn't give it to La La Land. They didn't give it to West Side. Whatever, right? It doesn't matter that they haven't given a musical Best Picture since 2002. The only constant that we've had every single year for what they award best picture is that it's different from anything else that they've awarded best picture before Mm -hmm. that is the only constant that we have right so we can't say what people like for best picture anymore it's just it has to be different from what they've done before
0: so you have a fantasia at number one but who's your number two and three and four you're
1: right this is not a picture episode this is an actress uh episode right now so Number two, I have Annette Benning for Niad. This might come back to bite me because there's a chance that Niad ends up being a bit of a a by the books biopic, could be buried. But the film is directed by Oscar winners Jimmy Chin and Elizabeth Chai Vesarhely, who directed Free Solo, who directed The Rescue, and this is their debut narrative film. Now, why do I have confidence in this? Why is this my number two slot? Well, we know. The Academy loves a biopic. They love something inspirational. These filmmakers are very exciting. This is their debut narrative feature. It kind of treads similar territory to what they did in Free Solo that was so exciting. It focuses on someone doing an amazing feat of athleticism. And Annette Benning is kind of overdue. She's got a good narrative going for her. If this film is good and I can already see in my brain, in my mind hole, I can already see, that was weird and gross, but I'm going to go with it. I can already see in my mind that the free solo filmmakers are going to capture the shit out of this voyage from Cuba to Florida. It's going to look fucking fantastic. And I think that could propel her.
0: The more you describe it there, it kind of sounds like it could be like a Bill Nye type, like, awards run where like a it's just one acting performance maybe something else comes along with it whether that is a screenplay or maybe cinematography like you're talking about with some very interesting visuals Mm -hmm. but maybe not a bigger overall contender but a very solid in their like, safe-type acting yeah.
1: I guess the thing is that at this point, it's still extremely unclear what Netflix's priority is. And we know from last year, Netflix could switch their priorities, right? We thought at the beginning of the year it was going to be Bardo. And then it looked like it was going to be Glass Onion. And then, oh, I guess it was all quiet. So we don't really know what their priority is. Could it be Rustin? Could it be Maestro? It's not Maestro. It's not Maestro. It's not Maestro. I am actually kind of bouncing between... I think Netflix's priority is either going to be Niad or it's going to be El Conde, The Count from Chile. So those are the two that I'm like, okay, this feels like it's going to be Netflix's big contender. This one feels like it's one that's going to be, it's going to play at TIFF. It's going to be like all this buzz around, oh my God, Annette Benning's delivering the best performance of her career. This is fucking fantastic. Check this out. This is crazy. But at number three, I have Natalie Portman in May, December. Now, this is a really fascinating role. It's a really interesting character study. May-December is Todd Haynes' new movie. It follows uh, a tabloid romance that about 30 years ago had happened between an older woman and a teenage boy. And now it's 30 years later, and the romance between the young boy and the older woman has now just carried on. They're married, they have kids. And Natalie Portman plays an actress who is coming into the town to stay with this couple and study them because she's going to be playing the older woman in a movie. I've read the script of this movie. It is a very, very good script. And Natalie Portman has, like, she has some really fascinating scenes. There's one scene between her and Charles Milton's character that I'm not going to spoil, but... The arc in the scene, it's like a 10-page long sequence where it just goes from one thing to the other and delves up to trauma, and oh my god, it's fantastic. And if they knock it out of the park, which they will because it's Natalie Portman, and I'm not too familiar with Charles Melton, but it's Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman's gonna crush this role. So that's why I've got Natalie Portman at number three. She seems someone who's very safe. Like when competitive, I'm not sure about it. I since last episode,
0: I'm a little lower in May December now. The whole fact that it still does not have a distributor scares me a little bit. So I kind of moved it down across the board. It moved down in picture. It moved down in director. It moved down for Portman. She was my number two. Now she's at number like three, four. But like, like you said, very meaty role where she can. I mean, she's a great actress and she's probably. deliver some of her career best work here
1: it does worry me that may december doesn't have a distributor yet it definitely does let's say if it's july and there's still no distributor i'm worried but that said there have been many excellent movies that have gone even into tiff with no distributor uh, one that i remember is I tanya. I tanya did not have a distributor until after tiff and then that movie went on to be nominated for three oscars and to win one at number four, I have Jessica Lang in Long Day's Journey Into Night. Now, Long Day's Journey Into Night is a new adaptation of Eugene O'Neill's classic play, which is hailed as one of the greatest works in American theater. Jessica Lang has played this role before. She played it, I believe, in 2003 and in 2016, and in 2016, she won the Tony Award for Best Actress in a Leading Role for this performance. And this is giving me the same kind of vibes as Denzel Washington uh, in Fences, who played the role on stage, was highly acclaimed, and then went on to be Oscar nominated for the same role. This used to happen a lot more, where someone would play a role on stage and then go on to get Oscar nominated, or even win for it, uh, in the film adaptation. It happened with My Fair Lady, with The King and I, with Cyrano de Bergerac. Uh, There have been so many theatrical adaptations that have done this. Nowadays, there's not as many films that are adapted from the stage. So we don't see that as often, but Jessica Lange in this is really giving me a, we could award her for this role that she's become very famous for. Uh, This could be the definitive version of this play done on screen. And she could be absolutely fantastic in this. That said, the movie's directed by someone that has not really directed films before. He's a theater director who is coming in to do this. But the cast is, uh, is giving me some hope. I think Jessica Lang, Ed Harris, Ben Foster are all going to kill it in this movie. The question is, does the direction support them in the way that it should? Or does it let them down just a little bit?
0: Yeah, fair enough. This is one that I don't have on my list at the moment. So I'm a little bit lower. Haven't even heard about this movie until you just mentioned it now. So it's something that I definitely need to look at. Cause um, I'll let you do your number five and then I can run off some names who I have in my five at the moment that
1: who are not in yours. Of course, and after this I'll kind of go quickly through my other contenders, but at number five for me, I have Greta Lee in Past Lives. Now, I'm starting to get a little bit worried about Past Lives because, like I said before, the only thing that is consistent with Best Picture winners this century has been that they're completely inconsistent. They don't do the same thing over and over again. And are they going to follow up a little indie darling with another indie darling right away? Are they going to give A24 two awards in a row for films that, you know, not that similar, but at the same time, they're the little critic darling. They're the little indie movie that's going to capture the hearts and minds. But that said, I do have Greta Lee in here. I still think Past Lives is, if not number one, it is number two or three at the moment. We know it's great. We know it's going to top end of year lists, and Greta Lee... Is going to come along with that package. At least I sure hope that she is. Now that said, she is at number five because I can see maybe the role might be too subdued, maybe the film will underperform, maybe she will get dragged down a little bit, but right now I say the ceiling for Past Lives is moonlight. It could be moonlight or the floor, I think, is Call Me By Your Name. I've seen some people say Past Lives could be the farewell, I disagree with that. The reviews are already stronger. But overall, I I do think it could be called Me By Your Name. But that said, Greta Lee would probably be Timothy Chalamet in that case.
0: Yeah, that's how I kind of see past lives at the moment. I do have that number one for picture, but that's kind of just because of sight unseen. We don't know what else is out there. And usually when a movie is your number one or number two highest rated movie of the year, it's going to make it into picture. She would come along with it. I currently have her as my runner-up in Best Actress just because of how strong that parallel would be with the picture nomination with the actress nomination however my winner for best actress is not in your top five and i know we're a little bit different with this movie at the moment but i I I want
1: you to stop me actually when i get to it okay because i'm gonna go down my list and you tell me when i hit your number one well i don't think about to go far (laughs) no okay (laughs) number six i've got emma stone that's it it's emma stone why do you have emma stone at number one I have poor things performing
0: very well this year. I know there's it's Babylon controversy or whatnot. It's gonna
1: offend people.
0: I don't think it's gonna be Babylon. I think it's gonna perform very. I mean, not to win in the like the sense of everything everywhere, but people at the beginning of last year said, "Oh, everything everywhere is gonna be too weird. It's gonna be too out there." And I think poor things is gonna do the same thing. It's gonna have a very nice trajectory to have a very strong shot and adaptive screenplay that's going to carry over to Emma Stone giving another amazing leading turn uh, this can be like the little follow up like hey you won before welcome back I don't think I don't know if she's going to win but I don't know really what else to put here like yeah maybe I could do Fantasia maybe I could do Portman Lee Stone I just I don't know this is kind of just a gut feeling at the moment where I have poor things performing very well at the moment just because it is Searchlight's biggest push we've seen Searchlight mm, do well when it? they, when they at least at the moment I feel like it is
1: I I still think it's strangers. I do. I really think it's strangers. But, I mean, it could be poor things. But that said, okay, I think poor things is very different from everything ever all at once. Because everything ever all at once, yes, it was weird, but it was wholesome weird. Poor things is Babylon weird. It's a movie about a woman who has a child's brain inserted into her head. But then it becomes like a weird... Like there's a lot of like sexual elements that are going to make people very uncomfortable with the fact that it's Emma Stone playing someone with the brain of a child going through all these like weird, it's like a sexual Frankenstein. It doesn't sound very like, mm, it, it sounds like it's going to piss some people off right that's that's our big takeaway from last
0: year that's our big takeaway from last season's awards is hey the traditional academy movies aren't the traditional ones anymore maybe it does perform like a Babylon where it does piss a lot of people off but it could also be on the flip side where A lot of people are just very into it. But like we've mentioned, I think a few times already, we're super early. No one really knows. And that's just something where I'm kind of riding that early wave. Like, if I'm right, I'm right. And if not, this can be the
1: first contender or in our biggest L's of the year next year list. That's the thing. There is no such thing as an Academy movie anymore, right? You can be as weird as you want, but you can't piss people off, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what Babylon did. Babylon pissed people off. Yes, it was weird. It was big. It did crazy things. But people were disgusted by Babylon, and I'm worried that poor things might kind of disgust people in a similar way. So the next ones, here are the rest of my contenders. I'm not going to spend too long on each of them. I've got Kaylee Spaney in Priscilla, Regina King in Shirley. I've heard that Shirley is not good, but Regina King is still okay, and she's probably going to pick up like a few nominations from like weird bodies yeah empire of light i think more jennifer hudson in respect where that was like everyone kind of knew that wasn't a thing it wasn't happening but she still picked up a few things she got the SAG nomination she picked up like the satellite award nomination that's what i'm feeling with regina king and shirley then i've got margot robbie in barbie I i don't buy it i don't buy barbie saoirse ronan in blitz and just to rattle off a few other contenders Julia Lewis dreyfus in You Hurt My Feelings, Sandra Huler in Zone of Interest, Vanessa Kirby in Napoleon, and Julianne Moore in Stone Mattress. So the other one that I have in my top five would be *Sasha Ronan and Blitz. However, Blitz is something
0: I'm just really not sure what to do with because I feel like if it does come out this year, it's a player, it's a contender, but I also don't mm. see Apple wanting to put out two big contenders in the same year.
1: I actually disagree. I think if it comes out this year, it's not a contender because I think Apple unless killers of the flower moon is not their main push if blitz is really good they're going to hang on to it until they have a year where it could be their number 1
0: from your actor slide that you said before I agree for the most part like Barrero is my number 3, Lee's my number 2, Portmans my number 4, and then we just have a different 1 and 5. Yeah. So, moving things over into the leading actor category. This is a category I normally like to like pride myself on being able to be like, "Hey, this is your winner." Months out in advance, I had like a three-year streak that ended with an Austin Butler loss to Britton Frazier for the Whale. So this year, I kind of got to get back on track. However, I don't know what to put at number one. So if you watched our Best Picture predictions last week, I had Rustin in for Best Picture, and that's because I have Coleman Domingo at my number one slot. Do I feel great about this? No, but I don't have a very solid alternative at the moment. I have someone who I feel kind of good about. Just I need to be sure that movie is coming out before I make that switch. So Domingo's at my number one for Rustin. Uh, A lot of people love him. I love him. I feel like he has a lot of goodwill in the industry where that can very much hide in this campaign of Rustin's not the greatest movie in the world. Like some people have possibly said it might not be. But this is one where if Netflix gives it the campaign, it's going to do something. Netflix showed us this year if they try, something's going to happen. So it doesn't matter to the degree of how popular or how successful a movie is if netflix has the money behind it kind of like apple and some other categories it, it's it's gonna pay off then is where we get to a, just a hodgepodge of actors i don't really mm-hmm. know what to do about but before i dive into those what do you feel about domingo at my number one right now
1: i've had domingo at my number one for ages even last year when rustin was supposed to come out i was like yeah i think coleman domingo is probably gonna win and that's why i've got rustin in best picture that said rustin's been pushed back multiple times And it's not because Netflix is super confident in it. It's because uh, they don't really know what to do with it, it seems. Right? Like, I I don't know. There's some things about this movie that just scare me a little bit. That make me a little bit nervous. Right? I just recently took Rustin out of my 10 for Best Picture because I don't believe that Netflix is going to get to the end of the year and go, Yeah, I think Rustin is our best performer. Rustin is the movie that people are passionate about. Rustin is the movie that people are talking about. I just don't see that happening. So, I don't know, man, I don't know. But Coleman Domingo, if Rustin is good, he's gonna be fucking fantastic in this role. I think regardless
0: of Rustin's quality, Domingo's going to be someone who's going to be in the race all year. He could be someone like Hugh Jackman who does end up missing out at the end of the day, but I feel like he's, he's, he's very safe for a nomination at this moment. Here's where I think I'm going to take my biggest risk yet. This is a movie where I think if it does come out and it has good enough reviews, it could sneak into picture and it could win actor. But that is the untitled Bob Marley biopic with Kingsley ben adir in the lead. I want to dance just- with somebody
1: i want to uh, dance yeah, with that's, somebody that's
0: probably what this is but i took the bait last year for that movie and looks like i'm gonna take the bait again this year with the bob marley biopic it comes right now the slated release date is that optimal limited and late 2023 and wide early 2024 like what the whale had this year i know i'm making a lot of whale comparisons but um i don't know this is another just actor who's put up a lot of buzz a lot of goodwill in the industry and he's portraying someone very iconic i know that we just saw last year playing a musical icon does not guarantee a win but who knows this is probably the complete opposite side of elvis where it's not so in your face and it's probably to be a much more reserved and a much more dramatic take on an iconic figure
1: well it's directed by Ronaldo marcus green who just did king richard but he also just did joe bell like I said, this is one where I don't really know what to do with it
0: in my list that I'm looking in front of right now. I have it at six, but I, I wanted to be a little bit bold and throw it up in there in my top five. Because at number five, you might as well. I do have uh, Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer. As I mentioned last episode, I think this movie's for real. And if it's for real, he would have to come along with it.
1: And that means that Paul Giamatti does miss out for the holdovers. But That's hilarious. because Sorry, in my, in my actress category, your number one is my number six. And in actor, my number one is your number six. Hey,
0: that's just the fun of how this all plays out. Because, yeah, I, I have uh, Giamatti out at the moment. But if uh, the Bob Marley biopic is not actually this year, there you go. Slides up number five. Um, I just hmm. have a l- I just don't really know what to do with that movie because um, Alexander Payne is someone who the Academy's loved and also hasn't really cared for in the past. And will that carry over to this movie? Who
1: really knows? This is not downsizing. You know, this is a a movie that, for one thing, he didn't write this script. Uh, It is not written by him. He might have adapted it a little bit. But this already has positive buzz. It has screened at TIFF last year to buyers with extremely, extremely good buzz around it. Uh, Focus Features actually, they bought it for $30 million, and they had a choice whether to rush it into release this year. But then they didn't want to compete with Tar. And so they pushed it to this year and it's it's their focus. Its focus features is focus. So this one's going to be big. Paul Giamatti has been loved and yet he really hasn't been embraced by the Academy. I think he only has one nomination. This is going to be it's I think he's going to be doing a role that kind of shows what he's always done but in a, a new sort of way. So. That's my argument for Paul Giamatti, number one. He's overdue, and he's gonna fucking kill it. This is, like, his wheelhouse.
0: Some other names who I don't have up in my top five that are in that, like, hey, maybe they're here. You have everyone's favorite person the dunk one right now bradley cooper from maestro um i know yeah. there's test screenings out there for this movie that say it's not the best then you have you from past lives as i mentioned i have this in pictures, so i think he should probably come along with it just is he a big enough name to carry over above some of the bigger names but if this movie's as beloved as it has seemed so far once it comes out to wide release who knows easily slides up here and then some more longer shots but i do want to just say like hey If this movie catches on, they could come along. That's Adam Driver for Ferrari. Depending on how this release goes, this could be his return. We know the Academy loves him, and this is a chance to reward him. Maybe not with a win, but another nomination, and he could become the next, you know, Leo, who just keeps getting nominated, but just can't seem to win or get that winning role and lastly the last person i want to mention before i hand it back over to you just mention some various other names is there's this little movie that you know had its premiere the other day at south by southwest and got rave reviews and that is air and if it's for real matt damon probably has to come along with it do i think it's for real no but it has my attention enough to be at my number 10 slot
1: yeah it could be the early movie that does well but that said this seems like the movie that everyone's going to go, yeah, that's a 7 out of 10. That was that was pretty good. I've read the script for Air. You're going to hear me say that a lot on this show this season. I've read the script for Air. It's okay. It's alright. It's fun. It's good. It's breezy. It's a movie about basketball that's entirely set in boardrooms. And it's fun. It's the dialogue solid and Matt Damon's going to do a good job it's given me 13 lives amazon dropping a movie early in the year being like we think that this is going to be huge we're going to push it for awards no they're not
0: that that is probably the case and i know i just said that was the last name but just to throw one more out there we just talked about apple tv having too much on their plate napoleon also comes out this year joaquin phoenix Maybe if this movie's good, but Ridley Scott, you never really know. I hope it's good. I like Ridley Scott when he makes good movies. And even when they're not good movies, they're sometimes kind of fun. And I'm I'm just <laughs> excited for Napoleon. So I think this could be something where some critics groups may go for it. But overall, if it's coming out this year, it's probably
1: not performing very well. Yeah, and that's what I feel. I was, like I, I think it's just going to be second horse to Killers all year long. All right. I've got like seven here that you didn't have on your list, so I'm just gonna rattle these off. Andrew Scott in The Strangers, but Andrew Haig has directed actors two nominations before. He did it with Charlotte Rampling in 45 years, and Strangers seems like, I mean, it's gonna hit Venice, it's gonna be Searchlight's, I think, main push, and it seems like a haunting story that's gonna make people cry and Andrew Scott is gonna be the reason. Paul Meskel actually recently in an interview gave a shout out to Andrew Scott and said his performance is spectacular in Strangers. He does so well in this. So we could see Hot Priest get that nomination. You don't have Barry Keoghan and Saltburn on your list. Now I also don't have a lot of faith in Saltburn. Emerald Fennel's follow-up, I just don't think it's gonna perform as well. Maybe less uh, the Sun and maybe more If Beale Street Could Talk where it's still good and still underperforms I mentioned Jessica Lang in Long Day's Journey Into Night. Gotta mention Ed Harris Long Day's Journey Into Night This is also a role that has won Actors Tony Awards It is a big powerful role and Ed Harris is a great actor who is quite uh, underappreciated I think then oh, We gotta mention Timothy Chalamet in Wonka. This isn't happening, but what if it does? if it goes next year
0: maybe but this year as i've said in other episodes Warner brothers has too much
1: but i think it's still it's still worth mentioning then just to toss it out there Andre Holland in The Actor. This is a role that was supposed to be Ryan Gosling. It's the newest film from Duke Johnson, who did Moral Oral and Anomalisa. Uh, He's the co-director that wasn't Charlie Kaufman on Anomalisa. But yeah, this is his live-action debut, and Andre Holland is in it, and I think he's a pretty underappreciated actor at this point. Then we have to mention Harrison Ford. Tom Cruise almost broke in last year. Harrison Ford... Who knows, man? It could happen too. Uh, I don't think so, but it's still worth mentioning as a possibility. And finally, Christian Friedel in Zone of Interest. Uh, He plays an SS captain in this movie, and it could be another critics push but of those i think the only ones that i, I have in my top five at this point uh, would be andrew scott who knows
0: maybe in like another few weeks i may switch over to strangers for searchlight but i'm still rocking poor i'm gonna things.
1: Keep, but i'm gonna keep pushing
0: you on it now let's dive into supporting actor which will be to you just one thing i want to say before you dive in is on the topic of poor things you better not have willem dafoe in your top five because he's not the, the oscar nominee from poor things it's someone else
1: yeah, that's actually um, a, a really good point, because um, I have had him in the past. That said, he's not in my top five. I think I only have poor things in like production design and maybe cinematography and maybe costumes. So my supporting actor list, I'm going to start off at number one with Charles Melton in May, December. Charles Melton, who's this? I I haven't, I don't know if I've ever seen him in a film. Uh, It's not a name that is familiar to me, but I think it's one that we are going to know by the end of the year. Like I said, this script is fucking juicy. And there's about like a a 15 to 20 page sequence near the end of this script. Where Charles Melton goes from a scene with Natalie Portman, which lasts for like 10 to 12 pages. And then the follow-up scene is a scene between Charles Melton and Julianne Moore. Where again... These characters are just fucking giving it to each other this role if he does it well will be an oscar nomination and potentially a win frankly the only person i feel confident about in this category uh because i've got a bunch of others that i'm like oh that could happen or it could not happen well i would like to say maybe i
0: know charles melton better than you because he was in bad boys for life
1: oh i haven't seen bad boys for life so you definitely do no Charles Melton better. How was he in Bad Boys for Life? I I couldn't tell you. I googled his name and looked at his crest. I was like,
0: he was in Bad Boys for Life." He was in the um the FBI gang for people who out there who have seen it. He was in their little like search party. Not a big role,
1: small role, but know. he's in Bad Boys for Life. So people when you see the movie, you're like, "Oh, that guy." And he has an enormous role in this. This is the type of role that's going to be put in supporting and people are going to go, that's a lead role, but they're going to rock with him in supporting because I, I think that they can get away with it. I think that they can say Natalie Portman is lead and these two characters are supporting Julianne Moore and Charles Melton. So number two. Actually, I'll just go two and three together. Jesse Plemons in Killers of the Flower Moon and Robert De Niro in Killers of the Flower Moon. Every year, there's a double nomination. Every year. This year, we had two double nominations from Everything Ever All at Once in Supporting Actress and... Banshees in supporting actor, *Killers of the Flower Moon* is this year's double acting nomination. I've been predicting this movie to kind of underperform across the board, but that said, Jesse Plemons and Robert De Niro are both going to get in here. uh Jesse, I think through the year people are going to go, "Oh, it's just going to be Jesse Plemons," and then Robert De Niro is going to sneak in at the last moment. So it's either going to be a Paul Dano situation where Plemons is left out and De Niro gets in, or they both get in. So why do I have confidence in both of these? Well, Jesse Plemons plays an FBI agent in this movie. He kind of plays the the good guy in the story, although there are very few good guys in this story because he's still a bit of a racist. His character is quite prejudiced against uh, indigenous peoples. The story kind of follows him as he's this bit of, he's an anti-hero FBI agent trying to solve some murders and trying to um, understand how this has been swept under the rug by local law enforcement. And Robert De Niro plays uh, quite a menacing role. I would say it's a villain, and that does not spoil too much about it, but it's, uh, it's a villainous role, and it is going to be quite uh, menacing if he does it right. Which he will, because he's Robert fucking De Niro. You know, from here I'm kind of lost. I don't really know where to go with this. So I guess at number four, I'm gonna put in Corey Hawkins in the color purple. Uh, Corey Hawkins plays Suge in The Color Purple. This is a role that has been nominated on Broadway. Uh, this is a role that has been uh, very lauded very highly in the past. Uh, and I do think that Corey Hawkins has an Oscar nomination in him. Number five, I've got Ryan Gosling in Barbie. I've been talking shit on Barbie all along. I don't want to say talking shit because I think this movie's going to be fantastic. It's, I, it's one of my most anticipated of the year, but I'm going to keep saying this over and over and over all year long, older male voters will not watch Barbie. Even some younger male voters will not watch Barbie. And a lot of the male voters that do watch Barbie will watch it uh, in a sort of hate watch way. And they'll go, oh, this is either so bad it's good or Barbie was a piece of shit. No matter how good this movie is, there will be snobby, pretentious guys trying to knock it down a peg. So when I'm predicting Barbie in any categories, I have to think, what is the demographic of that branch? And the acting branch might not be as prejudiced against Barbie. So I'm just going to go for it and say Ryan Gosling. I hear he's fantastic in this role. Uh, People love Ryan Gosling. And I think even some of the men that are against this movie might still feel pretty good about Ryan Gosling in it uh, because he's Ryan Gosling. It's literally me yeah i mean i i see the point there but i guess at least to me i feel like the acting branch
0: is the most behind in terms of inclusiveness in, and yeah. uh, at least the last few years so i feel like they would be the last place if you're gonna like if you're coming from the angle of people aren't gonna give barbie the time of day i think like the acting branch would be the last people to give barbie the time of day but i guess if they were yeah. it would be gosling just because that makes some sense however i don't i don't have gosling at the moment but i would love to be proven wrong i can't wait for barbie as well it's one of my most anticipated for the year as well i have pretty much the same top five just you take out gosling and you take out hawkins um and then i would put in and as this comes to our disparaging takes on poor things but i have rami Youssef in um from what i've seen he is the male lead so it's another one like how you mentioned for may december Probably should be in lead, but could be campaigned and supporting. And then I also have Paul Dano getting in for Dumb Money. Um, The trend (laughs) of Paul Dano getting snubbed has to end eventually. Why not be this year?
1: That's true. I did forget about Dumb Money. I might have also put in some of the other supporting cast, like Seth Rogen. um, Or, like, (laughs) not Pete Davidson. (laughs) Not Pete Davidson. But Sebastian Stan, maybe. You know? I I think that uh, there's a lot of really strong contenders from uh from dumb money i think that the question is we don't know who is going to be the strongest contender that said Mm -hmm. i wonder if paul dano paul dano might be playing i'm gonna show myself here i was invested in gamestop when that all happened i wonder if paul dano is going to be playing the guy at the the head of all of it uh roaring kitty i think was his name or whatever because I can see the similarities. I can also see the similarities with Sebastian Stan. One of them is going to be playing him, and whoever plays him I think might be a supporting contender, but I I don't know who's going to play him or if he's even included in the movie. He should be, because that was like kind of the center of the whole thing. But some other people who missed my list here, Glenn Turman in Rustin. I don't have a lot of faith in Rustin uh, at this point, But Glenn Turman is a fantastic actor and could kind of come along with that if it were to be a big movie and if Coleman Domingo were to be in Best Actor. John Magaro in Past Lives. uh, He's not going to be the biggest part of this movie, but still, if Past Lives has a ton of passion, he could get in. Ben Foster, Long Day's Journey Into Night. Yet another award-winning role in Long Day's Journey Into Night. And again, it all depends, is this movie big? You mentioned Rami Yusuf in Poor Things. I've heard some stuff about Mark Ruffalo's character in Poor Things, but again, we need to read this book to figure out what the hell's going on. Jamie Bell in Strangers. Now, Jamie Bell plays Andrew Scott's character's father in this movie, so I don't know. It could be a thing if this movie's a thing. And then just got to mention some other ones quickly. Austin Butler, Dune Part 2. That's going to be a role where he's just fucking going for it. Uh, I don't see Dune getting any acting nominations, but if it does, it's probably Austin Butler. As well, Jacob Alordi and Priscilla. This is assuming that Elvis is not a leading role in this, but we could see Jacob Alordi get this nomination as a contrast to Austin Butler last year. But uh, what do you think about any of that? Do you have anyone else to add here?
0: I mean, I would say right now, Jacob Alordi gets an Oscar nomination, I will hold the biggest L in the world because... He'll get nowhere close to an Oscar nomination. To add other people, Downey Jr. and Oppenheimer, uh, if the movie's for real, he seems like he has a pretty role, and Downey Jr. is someone who a lot of people like, and maybe it's a way like, hey, we love this movie, we love this actor, let's get him in here. And yeah, that's pretty much it. I've mentioned uh last episode about Firebrand, the adaptation of the Queen's Gambit being made into a movie. Don't know how big this movie's gonna be, but maybe Jude Law can get some uh, love and supporting actor Alicia Vikander and lead actress. This is more of a hope diction because I doubt this movie is anything, but it did get delayed so it now can premiere at a festival and that's Challengers, Mike Face maybe in Supporting Actor, but again, probably not going to happen.
1: But let's wrap it up. I want to hear from you about your Supporting Actress lineup and then we're done with our acting categories for at least a month and we can take a breath because God damn it, this is hard.
0: Supporting Actress is the one that I feel like is the least hard because everyone's saying Lily Gladstone for Kills the Flower Moon, but guess what? Watch her go lead like Michelle Williams and just mess up everyone's predictions. She I'm, could. I'm, i could. I feel like that's what's going to happen, but until that happens, I have her winning. After that, I have both Color Purple Ladies of Taraji P. Henson and Daniella Brooks. Then I have Julianne Moore for May-December, as I've mentioned before. I'm moving this movie down in every category just because I want to see it get a distributor so I know it's actually a movie coming out. And then at my number five spot, I guess for the moment I had Devine Joy Randolph for the holdovers. But if if I don't have Giamatti in, I feel weird having her in. So I guess they're kind of have to like both be in or both be out. But I'm going to leave her in for the moment. Um, And yeah, I I feel good about this five. But also the fact that I feel good probably means this is not going to be our five.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think I actually have almost the exact same top five as you. But I would swap out Daniel Brooks for The Color Purple. I, I think I only have, uh, I just have Taraji P. Henson in. But Daniel Brooks is the playing the role that has gotten the awards nominations in the past. So This is my double nominee in a category. My number five would be your next in line. And that's Isabella Rossellini for La Chimera what i feel like would be my
0: replacement if i take out Randall, but also looking to last year for saying la chimera is this year's triangle of sadness dolly de leon didn't make it in so maybe she can't make it in either but also dolly was probably number six so i don't know using the exact one-to-one comparisons that's where i find this spot right here
1: but honestly i really i like your list at this point this feels about as right as we could get especially because we don't know shit about a lot of these movies uh, and we don't know who's got the big roles and who's got the important roles and who's going to have the breakout narratives. I would like to say for Color Purple, while I do have them two
0: being the ones that get in, I would not be surprised if we see someone who just has like one or two scenes just have such a powerful musical number to rise themselves into this category. Who could that be? I don't really know. But I know who you think possibility. that could be. I know who you yes. think that could be. You think it's Halle Bailey. It could, but it could be a lot of other people too. I have to admit, I've never seen any uh, adaptation of Color Purple, so I have no basis to go off of anything. But mm-hmm. just, I, there's been times like that with musicals in the past where like, someone who just has one show stopping scene, Anne Hathaway and Les Mis, uh, can just come up and get all of the notoriety, while someone who's in the movie for a lot longer maybe does not get as much. But some other names mm-hmm. to continue in this list for supporting actress, we mentioned Air viola davis could be here but probably not probably penelope cruz for ferrari just like adam driver someone who the academy does like but also a movie i don't know if they'll touch and then i would say to contract you a little bit austin butler is not the most likely for dune part two i would say zendaya but that is also just i have not read the dune book but from what a lot of people say she's a lot more prominent in part two she's someone who i feel like maybe isn't overdue, but a lot of people would say is overdue, and a very big rising star, and this could just be a very like, one of those, like, they're clearly number five or number four, but they they still break their way in.
1: I think the only person that's not on your list that I'd recommend considering would be Tilda Swinton in The Killer. Do I believe this is happening? No. Do I believe that The Killer is going to be an Oscar movie? No. It seems like just a it's an action movie, which happens to be done by David Fincher. It's not a David Fincher drama. It's not Mank. It's not the social network. It's not even Gone Girl. But it's Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. I don't even think it's that. I think it's, like, it's possible. Well, it's it like some the text. style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of style, yes, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. But I don't know, man. Um, but Tilda Swinton seems like someone who could end up getting nominated for that I don't know anything about her role this category like I said is giving me nightmares right now but soon it won't because we will soon know a lot more about a lot of these movies and we'll know who the real players are who is going in what category is Lily Gladstone lead or supporting we'll know all these questions soon enough but for now this is the fun part of the season where we're just walking around in the dark with our arms out and trying to figure out who goes where and who is a, a bigger performance in each movie than other people. So, I don't know. It's an exciting time. I really like this part of the season. It is. I'm I'm. I'm very
0: excited to dive more into this upcoming Oscar season because I feel like this is kind of the the most scared part of the season because you don't know what anything is really going to do. I, I'm super not confident in anything that I said today. So if you made yeah. it this far in the video, definitely drop your comments down below. Let us know some of your bowl predictions because I don't feel great about any of mine.
1: Tell us if we've missed any big performances. I know one that I missed uh, is that I wanted to make note of There's Netflix's movie that I think might be their push is a Chilean movie directed by Pablo Lorraine, who did Jackie and Spencer uh, and it's called The Count uh, or El Conde. We don't know who the lead actor in it is. We see the cast, but we don't know who is playing the lead actor. It's a, a dark comedy about the dictator of Chile. It follows his character if Pinochet was a vampire. Um, who lived to be 250 years old, who decides that it's his time to die now. It sounds like it's going to be huge with critics. It sounds like it's going to play Venice, could win the Golden Lion at Venice. I think it's going to be hugely critically acclaimed. And whoever's playing Pinochet, they could get a nomination.
0: They could. I guess my one hesitance there would be is for international acting performances again and they normally already have to be a name because we've seen like with Paris said or drive my car you can be a very big picture contender but you still don't find your way into the conversation
1: counterpoint Yalitza Aparicio
0: fair enough fair enough good point
1: I think that the actor who's playing him is like very well respected in Chile again there's a cast list but it doesn't say who's playing who and
0: guess what time it is
1: everyone's favorite time of the
0: day fantasy film ball draft time and my streak of L's continue because I lost in our favorite Oscar wins from the 2023 awards by a pretty tight margin. It was 53 to 47%. However, I'm sad that I don't get to have the first overall pick, but it's very fitting that you do because of the draft that we're having.
1: If you don't know, our channel is not just named Fantasy Film Ball because we are just calling it that. We play a game called Fantasy Film Ball, which measures general award success through the awards season uh, by scoring up a tally of all the awards given out, all the way from the Sundance Awards to the very end of the year Oscars now every single awards show has a different tier of How many points it gives for example? The Golden Globes give more points than the satellite awards and the critics choice awards give much more than a random critics circle So through the awards season every award that a movie gets Gives it some points Uh, and at the end of the year we see the highest achieving films and we kind of get this general metric tally. We've been working on this for a few years now. I think we've not perfected but we've got it to a really good point where I think you can tell the general award success of a movie by looking at its final film ball score. So in the description I'm actually going to link a list that I have on Letterboxd which is my tally of I've gone all the way back to 2010 and tallied up awards points through the film ball formula that we have. And today we're going to be drafting the top 10 of all time awards performing movies. Uh, And this is of course awards performing when looking at it through a lens of fantasy film ball, what scored the most, and the results are actually pretty surprising and also not surprising. So the top 10 of all time, ranges from 2010 until 2023. And the shocking thing about this is that some of these are not Best Picture winners. i say eight out of 10 of these are Best Picture winners. But there's two movies in here, including the second highest movie, of all time that did not win best picture. So for everyone out there, because obviously I know
0: what our top 10 highest scoring films of all time are, but everyone else out there, they probably don't. So Matt, lead us off our list from number one down to number 10.
1: So this is fascinating and I'm gonna tell you guys a little bit of how each of these films got to this point. Looking at our final tally, Everything Ever All At Once actually just became the highest scoring film in our game of all time. This shouldn't be too surprising as we've seen the reports that this became the most awarded film of all time, surpassing Lord of the Rings Return of the King. It's crazy that this movie really did it, but it scored in our game 2,768 points. And it got that because it did extremely well with guilds, it swept at the Oscars, and it was a movie that did well across the board. It had critics love, it had guilds love, and of course it had mainstream awards success. Number two, here's the shocking one, not a Best Picture winner, La La Land, which had 2,718 points, just 50 points behind Everything Everywhere all at once, and it didn't even win Best Picture. How did La La Land get so close to Everything Everywhere without winning Best Picture? Well, answer is it swept at basically every other award show, at the Golden Globes, at the BAFTAs, Uh, At the Critics' Choice Awards, this movie did exceptionally well everywhere until Best Picture. In fact, looking at that season, it kind of looked like the runaway winner for Best Picture until Moonlight came in at the last second and went, Ah, it's mine. Number three, another shocker here, this is a Best Picture winner, but it's not going to be what you expect. The Artist from 2011 at 2,585 points. This movie fucking swept its season. It was an undeniable winner. Everyone knew The Artist is going to win. It got everything it needed. It had five Oscars and it won Golden Globes. It won BAFTAs. It won Critics' Choice. It just took everything that it needed. It got Guild Love, and that's why it ended up here at number three. Number four, The King's Speech, which received 2,431 points. I know a lot of people say the social network was like right behind it, but it sure doesn't look like it when you see that point total right there. And again, that's because it did super well at the Golden Globes, the BAFTAs, Critics' Choice, which it didn't win Best Picture there, did super, super well at the Oscars. And that's why The King's Speech is super high up. Number five, we've got Birdman, or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, which ended up tallying up 2,387 points right here. And again, this is because it did well, not at the Golden Globes, but it did very, very well at the Oscars and at Guilds. This is industry love pushing it all the way right here. Number six, 12 Years a Slave, 2,301 points. And again, it's another one, Guilds, Golden Globes bafta critics choice it did well across the board and then it did well at the oscars maybe not as well as it could have done at the oscars and that would have pushed it a little bit higher number seven another undeniable sweeper nomadland which ended up with 2294 points if you were playing this game in the 2020 season nomadland was just a steamroller this one went through the entire award season crushing everything. It felt like nothing else ever had a chance, Uh, and it had a little bit of backlash and not a lot of tech areas to award it in, which is why it only ended up with 2,294 points. Otherwise it probably would have been one of the top scoring in the game if you could have awarded it in more tech categories. Number eight, The Shape of Water, 2,269 points. It's another one, Best Picture winner. Best Picture is the biggest award you can get. It pushes you very high. This one, may not have won all the awards it could have through the season, but where it performed, it performed really, really well. And that's why it's so high up here. Number nine, another non-best picture winner, the Power of the Dog at 2,210 points. And it's funny to look, because the best picture winner is more than a thousand points behind Power of the Dog. Because Power of the Dog did so well all the way up until the Oscars when it fell flat on its face at the last moment. Uh, but overall, this movie was a powerhouse, a juggernaut in the game of fantasy film ball. It crushed the award season until suddenly it didn't. And finally, at number 10, Moonlight at 1934 points. This one Best Picture, and yet it still ended up about 800 points behind La La Land because La La Land just performed that well below the line and with guilds. As we normally do in all these drafts, whoever has
0: the first overall pick gets number one, Then the other person gets two, three. It's a snake draft. We go back and forth until we each have five films on each of our rosters. After that, we will post the results in the YouTube community tab. Go out there, cast your vote for which team you think is better because the person who wins that gets the first overall pick for next week's draft. However, as I mentioned, I lost last week and again, continuing my streak of L's. So Matt will have the first overall pick for this
1: fantasy film ball draft. I'm not going to pick what people I think are going to expect me to pick because If y'all thought I was a stan of Everything Ever All At Once, you didn't see me in 2016 when I was fucking going for La La Land. La La Land is in my top 10 films of all time. It is one that I think I saw four times in theaters. Uh, It's the reason that my fiance and I are together. I love La La Land. This is my comfort movie. This is the movie I always go back to and that is why I have to pick La La Land number one. It's crazy to think also that La La Land in our film ball game, it had 2718 points without winning best picture. If it had won best picture and maybe a couple of other awards along the way, it would have been the only film to cross 3000 points in this game in our film ball metric of award season performance. I wonder if any film will ever cross. 3000 points
0: honestly probably not if everything everywhere couldn't do it this year was sweeping as much as it did however I mean La La Land is one of my favorite movies of all time it's in my top 10 but it just so happens that that year my number one favorite movie of all time beat it in best picture because I will be going moonlight here in the first That's your favorite of all time it is if I had to pick one it would be Moonlight that's very um, very cool I'm really happy it made our list of 10 here because it was that last movie in the slate of 10 but it continues this whole story of Moonlight just being that underdog that little movie that could it goes all the way to win best picture and I mean you didn't pick it so I gotta pick it give me both A24 movies to ever win best picture I will be going with everything everywhere all at once
1: you got a killer starting of your team man I just gotta say also La La Land may have been the movie I stand that year Moonlight would be in, like, my top 30. I just happen to prefer La La Land, but, you know, it's- it's like picking between ice cream and a birthday cake. Both are great. Yeah. Any other year
0: for like best picture lineups, these would easily be my number one. No questions about it. But it just so happens that my probably two favorite
1: best picture nominees of the like modern era came out the same year. Yeah. It's crazy that it happens that way sometimes. And honestly, I'm kind of sad that I uh, ended up with first pick here because you really stacked it there. I think that there's a clear top three in this top 10 right here. Uh, And I think we've already picked all three of them. So the question is, what goes next? And the answer is Birdman or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. It's a a great film. I mean, it's revolutionary. It's it's groundbreaking in how it presents itself. Plus, it's just funny as hell. It's well acted. It delivers everything that you want. It's intensely rewatchable. You can go back and watch it over and over again. It's only aged better and better. Uh, with what it has to say about celebrity and superhero movies. And it's a fantastic movie and it's a great choice for Best Picture. Even though I would have gone with Grand Budapest Hotel that year, Birdman is fantastic and it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Many of these movies are some of my favorite movies of all time. Actually, all but one of these are in my list of my favorite movies of all time. So, uh, um, interesting. I'm, you, I'm let me know, know which one it is at the end of the draft. I'll let you know at the very end. Um, because I think I might leave it to you (laughs) very last. We'll see. (laughs) So, for my next pick, I think I'm going to have to take 12 Years a Slave. 12 Years a Slave is a fantastic film. Steve McQueen completely outdid himself with this. It is, I think, one of the most harrowing pieces of filmmaking. A a movie that shows history in a way that doesn't let you look away. The way Steve McQueen makes us feel time in this movie is is exceptional. Um, It is an incredible piece of filmmaking, uh, and it's so deserving of Best Picture, so incredibly deserving. And yeah, it it might be uh, the biggest downer on this list by a long shot, but at the same time, it is... A w- incredibly worthwhile and artfully profound film.
0: I mean, you mentioned before there being a strong top three. I think there's a strong top five because Birdman and 12 Years a Slave, personally, for me, would be my number three and four in my draft boards. But I know other people prefer everything everywhere above them, but all five of those movies I love so much. Birdman, they're a great movie. 12 Years a Slave, they're an impactful movie. So I have two A24 movies that have won Best Picture. One is probably the smallest movie to ever win. One may be the most wild movie to ever win, so give me the craziest movie to ever win. And give me The Shape of Water from Guillermo del Toro. I knew you were going to do that. It
1: just makes sense.
0: This is one where maybe I'm not as high on it as a lot of other people are, but I very much respect this movie. I admire it, and I'm very happy that I did win just because of what it does mean for, like, what a Best Picture winner can be. However, this is the point in the draft where we get to movies I don't really like, and I know that may be a hot take out there. Um, One of these movies I haven't seen, uh, and the other three i'm not really big on so i don't really know where to go here so i'm gonna go to the one that i think most people probably like the most and that is power of the dog
1: nice i know you're not a huge fan of that one uh so i mean do you have any reasoning for for this one or is it just that most people like this more than the others
0: I think from what's left, it's the one where most people like it the most. To me, this would probably be my bottom of the ones that are left that I have seen. But um, like I said, the last four aren't ones I'm really big fans of, of the ones that I have seen. But uh, I, I appreciate Power of the Dog. I can't say I really enjoyed it or liked it, but I, I appreciate what it's doing.
1: <laughs> okay, so there's three left, and I think I have to stay true to myself. So at number four, I'm going to pick The Artist. And The Artist is a film that everyone is wrong about you're all wrong about the artist people say that this is a boring winner people say that this is just forgettable and why the hell did this win I'll tell you why it wins because it was a movie not just of the moment it was the epitome of oh they don't make movies like this anymore yeah they actually don't and when people say oh it's a forgettable movie it had no impact yeah of course it didn't because it was it, it was emulating a style that no one does anymore it does the style of the silent movie so well that not only could you be convinced that this was from the 1920s, but if you put it alongside some of the best movies of the 1920s, it would stack up perfectly alongside some of those old silent movies. You put this alongside, maybe not a Chaplin, but you put this alongside like a Buster Keaton movie or a Harold Lloyd movie would stack up as one of the best silent movies of all time. It is fantastic. It uses sound in a really interesting way. The score is great. Jean Dujardin is fantastic.
0: This is the one that I have not seen yet.
1: That was the one that when you said you hadn't seen one, I was like, oh, it's The Artist. He hasn't seen The Artist. That makes sense, because it's one that I think a lot of people will just look over, because it's like, oh, that one, Best Picture, that's weird. But I'll finish off my team. I just went on a long rant about The Artist, uh, which you're all wrong about, and I'm going to keep saying that. And I'm going to finish off my team with Nomadland. Uh, My last 10 out of 10 that I've got here, I know you don't like Nomadland, I love it. I think Francis McDormand is fantastic. I think that the way that they use non-actors is amazing. This movie has made me cry on multiple occasions. Uh, I think it was the perfect movie for 2020 when it released. I don't think that this would have won Best Picture in any other year. I think people needed a movie like this about what it feels like to be left with nothing. To wander aimlessly through life wondering where you're meant to be, and wondering, is the wandering the part of it all? Is the aimlessness is that what this is? Is that what life is supposed to be? It's a beautiful film, and I I love it, and I think it's very worthy of Best Picture. Again, wouldn't have been my pick, but it's one that I'm very happy won anyways. And that leaves you with one movie, which is the one movie here that I would give less than a ten out of ten.
0: I'm happy I got this one because while I mean I like the King's speech, Tom Hooper went on to direct a great movie that no one else also thinks is a great movie, being Cats. So fitting to end my team off with, uh, I have four other very uh, visionary and um, inventive type stories with the guy who went on to make the most inventive and most crazy and most
1: original musical ever. So you heard it here first, everyone. Dylan picked the King's Speech, but he's really picking Cats. Exactly. Real rightful, 20, rightful 2020 Best Picture winner, Cats. Over Parasite? over parasite over parasite you'd pick it over parasite good i caught you on video saying it so let's wrap it up let's uh let's talk about our teams so for me my team here is la, la land birdman or the unexpected virtue of ignorance 12 years a slave the artist and nomad land on the flip side, I
0: have Moonlight, Everything Ever All At Once, The Shape of Water, Power of the Dog, and The King's
1: Speech. Who do you think is going to win this week? Because I'm just going to say off the bat, I have a feeling you might be claiming a W this week.
0: I think I may win for Recency Bias because I have Everything Ever All At Once. It's the most recent of these winners. And it's a very beloved winner. Um, but I mean, I personally thank you other stronger team because as i mentioned i'd rather take four of the top or three of the top five and two of the top three because i think it's deeper but i know other people aren't as high on Birdman or 12 years of slave so that's a more personal one mm-hmm. for me but i think i think it's a very even type competition week just like our one from last week
1: i think you just got a killer killer top two and i think it's going to be hard to beat that one two punch of moonlight and everything ever all at once uh, and especially because I think a lot of people have soured a bit on La La Land and Birdman through the years and 12 is a Slave and Land. and definitely The Artist. I think all of mine have become very polarizing with age, whereas I think that uh, your team has mostly aged very gracefully.
0: I had the King speech and that's everyone's favorite Best Picture winner.
1: Also, can you believe that movie made like $150 million at the box office?
0: It's Tom Hooper. Who doesn't love Tom Hooper?
1: Who is currently in director's jail, soon to get out, I hope. I want to see more Tom Hooper, but let us know. Do you want more Tom Hooper who has the better team? Make sure you go and vote next week's draft will be decided by who gets your votes. So head over to our YouTube community tab and voice your opinion. Leave a comment behind and vote, vote, vote on who you think has the best team. Is it going to be team moonlight everything ever all at once? Or is it going to be team La La Land Birdman today? We to continue
0: with our very fun series the oscar madness bracket and we are finally into the round of 32 and we had some major upsets and some pretty you know predictable stuff in the round of 64 so um i guess before we dive into our actual matchups we have our first you know score update for the leaderboards for people predicting and we have one person sitting at the top right now and that is nico who has a 64 score overall which is pretty pretty good um I'm looking here and I can't really figure out what the top overall like possible score is, but it looks like they're pretty accurate because uh, they have a little bit of a lead over everyone else at the moment.
1: Good for you, Nico. You go, Nico.
0: I looked a little bit further. I was able to figure out they only have four wrongs so far. They've gotten mm. 64 out of 68 predictions right.
1: That's pretty good. That's
0: Hey, that's pretty good. If we're going to dive into these round of 32 matchups, and we're just going to look at some interesting ones because we don't want to bore you with so many matchups.
1: But, of course, we have to
0: look at the Best Picture winner, which will probably steamroll its way all the way to the finals. Everything, Mm -hmm. everywhere all at once will be going against the Quiet Girl. Can the Irish, (laughs) you know, put up a fight here? Probably not.
1: No, No, that's uh, –
0: That's bad. The one that looks very interesting to me, at least, is where we have the 8th seed of the Fablemans going against the 40th seed of Decision to Leave, where I could see possibly an upset coming here, but I am still going to rock with Team Spielberg going to the next round.
1: I have a feeling the Fablemans will probably stick it out here. We have a a donkey battle going on. We've got the Banshees of Inisharan versus Eo. Uh, Donkey battle. whale battle. All the way. Whale battle. Yeah, the whale versus Gamer del Toro's Pinocchio, which also has a whale in it. Ooh, I see one here that I think is going to break your heart, Dylan. Avatar The Way of yes. Water versus Puss in Boots The Last Wish. How do you feel about that? Well, I'm very prepared for the Na'vi to head out, but if they
0: had to lose anyone, it would be to Puss in Boots. So I'm happy for mm. whoever wins that because they look like they could have a pretty uh, set round to at least get to the Elite Eight, uh, where they'll probably face off against Banshees. But, you know who knows the opposing side would be triangle of sadness versus Bardo so maybe the Bardo sweep continues and mm-hmm. they can uh, upset but probably the Bardo sweep ends here
1: you see some of these matchups after Sun versus the bad guys like oh man poor poor the bad guys that's that's a brutal brutal matchup I think next round is where we're gonna get really really competitive with a lot of these is there any takeaways you have from the last one what were some of the closest matchups what were some of the biggest blowouts that we saw
0: before i dive into some of those biggest blowouts and closest matchups are currently our lowest seed still alive is the 52 out of 68 seed being the menu it has to go against babylon this round so maybe it's you know underdog story ends here but i don't know a lot of people do love the menu it's out on hbo max now it's got a like increased viewership in Babylon is a divisive film.
1: The menu makes sense. I mean, it wouldn't have been 52nd if it had gotten a single Oscar nomination because that's what this is based on, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that's why it's low at this point. I think if we're really looking at the popularity of the movie; it would be much higher. That is a very popular movie. It's one that a lot of people who don't really follow movies they're very into at this point. So,
0: looking at the results, there's two movies with the the, the largest area of win, getting ninety two percent of the vote in the five versus sixty matchup. Elvis took down Emancipation, so this was <laughs> the only time that we see Elvis like really you know dominate the vote. Yeah, Elvis Similar is gonna be that,
1: fucking crushed by Marcel shell
0: Hey, hey, I am going to vote for Elvis, but I may be the only one there. Yeah. Uh, the twenty-six v. 39 matchup saw Puss in Boots taking 94% of
1: the vote away from Diane Warren
0: and Tell It Like a Woman.
1: <laughs> that makes sense. I think the only reason you'd vote for Tell It Like a Woman is if you just actively didn't like Puss in Boots. Because no one would watch Tell It Like a Woman and go, yes, that's better than whatever else there is. The same
0: score ratio went to Triangle Santa's versus The Sun. The Sun... Put up no fight but i am happy to say that bardo uh was one of the not the closer matchups but it, it wasn't as uh tight as i thought it would be it had about 55 mm-hmm. percent of the vote going against the good nurse so the battle of the netflix failed best picture contenders uh bardo does uh uh
1: get the win it does it it sneaks out the win i'd say but that's another one where i'm like how would you watch bardo and the good nurse and go yeah the good nurse is better because well, the good people- nurse is just it's mediocre bardo takes a big swing and you could say it misses, but at least it takes a swing.
0: People have the Knives Out for 2, and it was shown there. Mm-hmm. Before I read off some of our closest matchups, that does remind me, speaking of Knives Out, Batman had to go against Nope in round one, and now it has to go against Glass Onion in round two. So mm-hmm. things aren't really looking easy for the world's greatest detective, but who knows? That's a battle of the, the detectives. Will it be Blanc or will it be Batman?
1: That's, that's a tough one. How close was your Batman versus Nope vote? That one I'm looking at here was about
0: 59 to 41% in favor of the Batman. So not as close as I probably thought it would be, but, you know, pretty close because Moonage Daydream and Navalny was about a split about two or so votes. And there were some that went down to just one vote, so I'm going to go find those real quick. The first one that went down to just one vote was All the Beauty and the Bloodshed versus The Quiet Girl as well as The Bad Guys versus To Leslie, which to me is a very weird one to go down to just one vote.
1: To me, there's no comparison. To Leslie should have just blown out The Bad Guys. I maintain The Bad Guys is the bad movie. That is a take I know a lot of people, including myself, don't agree with, but that is okay.
0: Everyone out there, drop down some of your bowl predictions for this round of 32 here. Do you think any major upsets could happen? Because, I mean... Matt had said After Sun versus Bad Guys was pretty clear, but who knows? Maybe the Bad Guys will it? Not at all. But I, I think the Elvis Marcel vote could come down to like a 52 48. I think it's a little closer you than what so? you were saying before. I, think I it don't really
1: just on I think you. it's going to be like 75 25.
0: Well, the one upset I do want to see happen is EO taking down Banshees. We need the superior donkey
1: to continue through. That's true. I know there's going to be some people pissed off about that round, uh, but EO is the better donkey, so. The question is is it the better film i think it is me but. too and there's one more matchup i want to highlight
0: because it's the only matchup we have here in the round of 32 where both lower seats so the both non-oscar nominees upset the opposing film they had to go against that were got nominated at the oscars because corsage took down blonde and Good. bones and all took down causeway so the oh. winner of that takes on the winner of the donkeys of banshees and eo thank you for tuning to this edition of fantasy film but we went over a lot today we did our first acting predictions for the 2024 season we did some oscar madness we did a draft you know a whole lot of fun matt any big takeaways from today's episode
1: oh big takeaways where i'm so excited to start seeing trailers and images and knowing more about these movies that i stopped feeling so in the dark about acting categories because what's happening and why does my head hurt so much
0: I took for granted last year with, like, supporting actors. Like, oh, this is such a like a big head case. I don't really know what to do, even though, like, we kind of knew it kind of all along. But, like, now I'm like, I don't know what to do in any category, not just
1: one. This is an exciting time because there's so many performances that we don't know at this point. Like, I think at, not even at this point last year. I, I didn't have Everything Everywhere All at Once anywhere at this point last year. I think, actually, no, at this point I would have had Michelle Yeoh in, but I didn't have Ki Hui Kwan. Right. Interesting. So, Kwan came a little bit later than Michelle Yeoh did, but I think I was starting to come around to Michelle Yeoh right now. So I don't. Soon we're gonna start to see how this is all shaping up. We are, and it, that's exciting.
0: It is exciting. I think the thing I'm most excited for to see is what studios pick as their like main horse in the race because like last year we had netflix all season long keep us on our toes and then other stuff like paramount like oh they have babylon but can they like support maverick and then end up being like oh they have maverick they don't care about babylon and universe like oh they have fablemans they have she said maybe they give something to nope and then it's like okay well everything was for Fableman, So I think that's one of my favorite things about this early stage of the Oscar race, is to see what studios have to present, and then which ones they ultimately decide, like, hey, this is our one, this is our two, and then everything else. is like, if you get something cool, but, like, mm-hmm. we don't really care.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting part of the season, because it's as much about predicting the studio's main horse as it is about predicting what's going to be a good movie. And that's why with Netflix, I-, I think the thing that I'm really fascinated by is that I just have a feeling that they're going to fuck up again this year. I think that they're going to go all in on Maestro, and then they're going to realize that people don't like Maestro, and then they're going to switch to whatever has the best reviews at the end of the season, and that's uh, that's where I think El Conde comes in, is that they go, okay, this could be all quiet again, so let's let's go for it at the very See, last minute. You say,
0: you say fuck up. I don't think Netflix did because all quiet got almost everything it needed besides director. So like, but
1: Netflix they did fuck up because they could have gotten in guilds if they'd pushed all quiet earlier. But they were so like, here's Netflix's trajectory last year. Bardo, 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 Venice. Bardo down, 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 down. No Bardo. TIFF Glass Onion. Ooh, Glass Onion. Glass Onion. Glass Onion. Glass Onion. All quiet. Mm, not all quiet. Glass Onion, Glass Onion, Glass Onion, Glass Onion, Pinocchio? Mm. Glass Onion, Glass Onion, Glass Onion, Glass Onion. And then... BAFTAs. And then All Quiet. All Quiet, All Quiet, All Quiet. Like, just all the way to the very end. That's why I say they fucked up. Because instead of... Like, if they had chosen to pivot to All Quiet in September, when it happened at TIFF, rather than pivoting to Glass Onion, they would have had potentially a Best Picture winner on their hands. Right? Because... All Quiet missed director, it missed editing, and it missed every single guilt. If All Quiet had made PGA, DGA, um, some of the other big ones, ASC, uh, it would have been a so much stronger contender. But instead, it just made BAFTA, and then Netflix scrambled to get into the Oscars. So I do think that they fucked up. And I think that they're going to fuck up again this year.
0: Well, I'm very excited to see what Netflix brings to the table because I think they're always the most interesting studio because, like, they always have, like, ten options. And it's just, like, which option do you pick? And some years they have three that they present. And normally, as we've seen in the past, when you have three, you can't sustain three. But last year they only really had one at the end of the day. And that one ended up being, I think, a closer second than a lot of people were predicting ahead of time.
1: No, I completely agree. All Quiet was shockingly close But yeah, normally, I think the problem is Netflix has too much. This year, it kind of looks like they don't have enough. Um, And some people might say Maestro. Some people might say Rustin. But those are the types of movies that used to get into Best Picture, but they don't anymore. And some people might say, oh, they're biopics like Elvis. But Elvis was Baz Luhrmann. Elvis had uh, a filmmaker going fucking nuts with Crazy Box Office. Maestro won't have that. Rustin won't have that. They're just going to be very... Plain movies and that's why i'm like hmm el conde hmm niad hmm maybe those two
0: maybe those are the ones i could definitely see netflix becoming like kind of like neon was for a few years like the new home for like the international type contender where like mm-hmm. all quiet last year Roma, and years Past, and now maybe this new one and who knows it could be now the new trend of like hey our Oscar international feature winner that could maybe get in the best picture comes from Netflix just because it's a place to make it widely accessible here over in the States and North America compared to other places in the world.
1: Well, also the problem that Netflix has is that oftentimes their movies are highly acclaimed, but they don't really connect with people. Netflix always ends up with films like Roma or Marriage Story or uh, The Irishman or The Power of the Dog. Or all quiet films that are technically beautiful but might not really like emotionally impact you a marriage story doesn't really fit in there but still all those films are like very well done but very sterile films and yeah looking at this year I'm I'm just gonna keep coming back to the count the count El Conde Pablo Lorraine it's gonna be highly acclaimed it's gonna be incredibly well done and it might alienate the shit out of people who aren't critics uh and that makes it seem like an oscar best picture push from netflix because that's what they always do and that's why they always lose
0: everyone out there you know maybe look in your description box and join the discord and let us know what your prediction is for netflix's campaign push this year because i know that we're both very interested in that and i'm sure everyone else in there is as well but until next time my name is dill
1: and my name is matt and thank you so much for listening to fantasy film ball
0: Thank you for tuning to this episode of Fantasy Film Ball with Matt and Dill. Keep up to date with us on Twitter at @ffilmball. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. We even upload a video format of the podcast to YouTube if you want to see our faces. Thank you for listening to this episode of the show, and come back next week.